All right, we're going to turn into the book of 2 Timothy. Second Timothy, this evening, had a great time this morning. It was a blessing to see you out if you're there this morning. Who remembers the word that I couldn't pronounce this morning? Reciprocity. That's it. Praise God. I'm glad you guys can say it. <laughs> I was practicing all night and I still messed it up. Hey, God is still good. Can you say amen in this place? <laughs> Reciprocity. There it is. All right. <laughs> Maybe I'll learn English next time. All right. Um, you know, this evening, we're going to start this evening with a few statistics. I like statistics. Uh, it gives us an insight into things. Uh, um, they do all sorts of statistical analysis on everything. You can get stats on anything. Um, but this particular article, I read the stats on traveling um, and what is the safest mode of travel. Right at the bottom of the list is motorcycles. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, you know, I, have, I, you know, I see, it, I get it. There's nothing to protect you there. If you're to hit something, that's you gone. You're finished. Um, but I, I did get a, my my motorcycle license. I didn't then buy a motorcycle because my wife would have uh, uh, left the house. But you know, I, I didn't. <laughs> but it was something. <laughs> praise God. But it was. There's something about it. I don't know what it is. It just feels good. It just when you're on a bike and you're you're riding down the road, it's, it feels exhilarating. It's lovely. It's a great thing. Uh, um, she wasn't very happy, but I didn't buy a bike, but it seems to be the, 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 the least safest mode of travel. Because uh, all it takes is just one slip up and that's it, you're off and you landed into someone be run over you and stuff. So unfortunately, there's a lot of people that lose their lives uh, because they decide to travel by motorcycle. Well, the next one is actually the most popular, but still one of the most unsafe is a car. To get in your car and drive um, is actually uh, touch and go wherever you would make it. <laughs> um, it there's, there's many crashes, millions of crashes a year, some of them fatal, you know, so a car is the next one on the list. Uh, so if you're thinking about, you know, traveling safe and you just jump in your car, you might have to <laughs> spend a little time praying extra for that one. Come on now. Uh, the next one there is boats. Um, boats are quite safe. The, the problems happen on small little boats, but big ferries, generally speaking, they're fine. You know, they just go straight unless uh, uh, you're the Titanic and you start saying some nonsense like, God can't even sink this boat, right? And then, right, yeah, I mean, that, was, that, was, that just had to happen, right? The boats. The next is trains. Trains is nice and safe. Uh, buses is after that. Buses, apparently, you're 50 times safer than driving your own personal car if you're to get a bus. 50 times. <laughs> that's, that's huge. I didn't expect it to be that big, but 50 times more safe if you catch the bus. So swap the car for a bus pass and you'll be good. Amen. <laughs> uh, only problem is you'll be standing there in the cold waiting all that time. And then, of course, the safest way to travel. Who would like to guess it? The safest way to travel is an aeroplane where 0.006 deaths happen per billion miles of travel. The plane is the safest, actually, out of all the ways to travel, the plane is the safest way to travel. And the reason I say that is because although we know the statistics that the plane is the safest way to travel, how many know when we're going on a plane, <laughs> we pray just a little bit extra? Come on, who's with me in this place? Come on, you know what I'm saying. You know, yeah, you know what I'm saying, Sister Lolly, right? You travel on the plane and you're like, you know, when you go in your car, it's like, thank you God for this day and you just drive your car, that's it. 
But when you're in a plane, it's like, dear Lord Jesus, I plead the blood over every single part of this plane. I pray the pilot is saved. <laughs> I pray the engine is hasn't done no failure. All this stuff. You'd be praying for like a whole hour before you step foot on that plane, right? Because there's something about it. But it, see, it is the safest mode of travel. I don't know what it is. Is that when you go there, we feel that we don't have control. When you're in a car, you know, you're on the ground. You can see some things and so on. You're right here. If a problem happens, you just get out your car and so on. But in the air, if it can buy <laughs> If something happens here, it's over. Mind you that these massive jets, they have four engines and they can fly with just one of those. Still, we still think, you know what, this, you know, this isn't, a, you know, those, those pilots have been training for years, spent thousands of pounds to have a pilot's license. Um, they have a pilot and a co-pilot. They have all these precautions before they take off. They make sure all this stuff is all done. Safety, safety, safety. But still, we are carrying something with us when it comes to planes. And I mention that because uh, the fear that we carry is actually unwarranted. Because I told you, we get into our car in and out, in and out. Sometimes we don't even pray. We just get in the car, drive behind the wheel. But you're more likely to lose your life in the car than the plane. But we carry this fear with us when it comes to plane. And I use that as an illustration to kind of launch uh, uh, into the subject of what I want to speak about. Because... Uh, Sometimes in life, we hold on to things that God has not given us. We like to travel through life with things that God has not ordained for us. God didn't sanction, but yet we still carry it. So I want to preach a sermon entitled, Holding What God Has Not Given. And this, of course, is going to be a familiar portion of Scripture it's one of those ones that you can just reel off, you can read, but I love it nonetheless. This is Paul talking to Timothy, uh, giving him instructions. Both the, the letters, I think First and Second Timothy are, uh, are one of its, chronologically speaking anyway, are one of his, his last writings uh, before uh, he goes on to be with Jesus. So he starts to pour into a young man uh, that is coming up in the ministry. Uh, and we're going to read from verse number one and we're going to uh, come down and end on uh, a familiar portion of scripture that we all know. Verse number one, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. And that was a nice introduction. He says, because of that, in verse number six, he says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And here is the verse, verse number seven, that is familiar to all, or should be. says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Amen. So I want to look considering firstly with you, uh, not from God. Verse number seven of our text says, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So just from that, that simple but yet profound statement, we can pick out a few things here. Number one, there is a spirit of fear, okay? 
It's nice and simple. There is something that we can carry, and it is spiritual, that we can carry with us. It's spiritual. We can take along our journey, and we can start to live with fear. We can start to wake up with fear. And worst of all, we can start to put up with fear. And they're just, it's just something that I have. It's something that I carry along with me. And that's just my thing that I'm afraid of. Uh, um, you know, uh, Pastor Steve Gabriel, when he spoke about something similar, he spoke about a whole long list of uh, phobias. There's a, there's a phobia for absolutely everything. You could just do research at home. People are scared of books, scared of washing, scared of mirrors, scared of the dark, scared of all sorts of things. And there is a spirit of fear that we can carry along with us. It's simple and profound, but the second point that we can pick out from this statement is that if we do have a spirit of fear, if we live with fear in our life, you need to know that that has not come from God. You need to understand that if you have fear in your life, that has not come from God. And I remember a time, this is close to my heart, I remember a time I was asked to do something, um, uh, and my pastor asked me to do something, I was, I was ready, I agreed, and then during the night I could not sleep, I wanted to ring him at like 3 o'clock in the morning and say, I'm not going to go through with this, uh, uh, can we just pass it by, let this cup pass by me, amen, let it do something else, I don't want to be a part of this, I was gripped with fear, and my pastor said something, and he said, listen, if you don't want to do it because God is telling you not to do it, that's fine. But if you don't want to do it because you have fear, just remember, fear doesn't come from God. And it's then I had to then consider the source of my fear. Because it's not from God. So if it's not from God, then where could it be from? I have to consider that if we are carrying something and we, we change the way that we act, if we're fearful and so on, we have to consider the source. Of, and when you recognize it is not from God, then you need to stand up and, and remember the promise that God said, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. So you have to understand, consider the source because the things that come from God are good things. Can you say amen in this place? James 1 and verse number 16, the Bible says, do not be deceived. And I always pause when I read that. Do not be deceived because it means that it's possible for you to be deceived. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift and every good thing, that's what comes from the Father above. Look at Jeremiah 29, verse number 11. Again, another familiar portion of Scripture. The Bible says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's what comes from God. That's the heart God has for us. So if we are waking up during the middle of the night, if we are carrying fear with us, we need to understand that does not come from God. And we need to understand that because if you consider the source, then you start to position yourself on how to attack the source. If you understand where something came from, then you've got an address on where to return that. Can you say amen in this place? Come on, you understand this came from here? Okay, I'm going to stamp it, return to sender. Thank you very much. Fear does not come from God. Simple, but profound. God has not given us that spirit of fear. I want to look with you about the progression of fear. You see, because fear 
is usually based upon something that we perceive in our environment or our circumstance. You could see some things and it can cause you to become afraid. And sometimes it's not necessarily a bad thing, okay? Sometimes you can use that for your advantage. Come on now, if there was a lion that walked through right here right now, if I saw it, something might rise up in me. And that thing might drive me then to get as many people out of the building as possible and run to safety. So sometimes fear is, can, can drive you to act and do something. And it is a representation of what you see in your environment and your circumstances. Come on now, certain brothers in here, little tiny chihuahua walk in and all of a sudden they'll start sweating. Come on now. There's some people in here that don't like dogs. If, you know, let's be allergic to dogs, that's different. But just being scared of dogs, that's, that's a whole never ball game, right? But what I'm saying is when you see something, it, it, it causes you to do something. It causes you to react. So fear can cause you uh, to preserve life, can cause you to live another day, fight another day. It's good. But we have to understand that uh, there is a progression for, uh, with fear because uh, when fear is based on something you see, all right, it can have those good effects. But when it's based on one of, the, of these two things, it can cause some issues. When fear is based on memory, i.e. the past, things that have happened and cannot be changed, then we start to progress from fear into something else. Also, when fear is based on imagination, i.e. things that have not happened yet, you're, you, it's not come to fruition, but you're looking at something that is a possibility. Now we move from fear to worry. And we've progressed now. Now it's not just this initial fear. We've moved from fear. We've graduated from fear, if you will. And now we've moved over to worry. And what worry is, is fear that we have manufactured. Come on. If you think about the things you're worrying about, most of that is things that have not actually happened yet. So when we worry, we are manufacturing fear. And if we're manufacturing, that shows us that worry is actually a choice. So when Jesus says, listen, don't worry, because he knows that it is a choice and you have the ability not to worry. We have a choice to make. If you're worried about something down the road or worried about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to wear, as Jesus was talking about, or worried about what people are going to say about me, worried about what my daughter's going to do at school, worried about this, worried about... It is a choice. You don't know the future. You don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know the next five minutes. So worry, when you start to worry, it is a graduation from fear. It's no longer things that you see in your, in your circumstances because they don't exist yet. And then we move on to worry. And the worst progression after worry is that if we worry for a long time, we then progress again and then go over to anxiety. And you'll be amazed... How many people today are living day to day, morning after morning, week after week with anxiety? Anxious. Just, just, just anxious about things that potentially won't even happen. Things that won't even... And now we're carrying things. We've got this burden that God never gave us. We've got this burden that came from somewhere or something else. Many times we go through this progression and we're fearful or worried or anxious about things that we can't even control. 
Now, I remember when I first started going on planes and so on, I was a bit concerned because, you know, obviously the things we spoke about, uh, the, the fear factor about, you know, we're thousands of uh, feet up in the air. It, it seems unnatural. It's like, how is this possible, right? So the first time I started going on planes, I had that kind of concern. And, but then it dawned on me. Listen, I can't control what happens in the next five minutes. If the plane is going to go down, hey, it's going to go down. <laughs> Listen, it's, it's an easy like this. I know I'm, I'm being simple right now, but that's that. If, just, just, just go with me right now. If the plane was going to go, if the pilot was going to faint, and then the co-pilot ate some bad food as well, he fainted as well at the same time, and at the same time, the engines failed and so on. Well, me sitting there sweating and worrying in my seat, is that going to change any of that? So I might as well just sit there, <laughs> just chill out, and, and enjoy my last couple of minutes on this earth. Come on now, I might as well. It dawned on me what a waste of time worry is. What a waste of time anxiety is because we're doing this. And the thing is about worry is that it's, our bodies are, are so fascinating that if we begin to carry this for long periods of time, it can play out in our health. Come on, as many people that work in the health profession here, you know there's a large percentage of illnesses that have come from the way that we think. So we're carrying this thing, we're carrying this thing that didn't come from God, and now we're battling this, and we're seeing this, we're coming our life, we need to go ahead and say, you know what, the, the problem with fear is that we get fearful when we lose a bit of control. Like I said, the car, we, we think that we're in control, we're in control of this, the plane, we have no control. But the thing is, when we do that, we lose control, we think, if, if I can control this, then I'll be happy. Well, you can't control anything, you are not God. So what we need to do is develop a tendency to trust God and lean not on our own understanding. And when we come to the realization that we serve a God who is completely sovereign over all, we serve a God that knows the number of hairs that are on your head, we serve a God that is informed, the Bible says, when a sparrow drops dead. Come on, we serve a God who knows what's going on. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Oh, he's in everywhere at the same time. We serve a God who is in complete control of the universe. That should give us some comfort to say, you know, whatever happens, all you've got to do is trust God. Can you say amen in this place? Yeah. We get the wonderful illustration of David when he goes out to fight Goliath. My kid's favorite story. I think every kid's favorite story in the Bible, David and Goliath. But we see the children of Israel are paralyzed by fear. And here David comes in, this young boy, and starts to go ahead and trust God and believe that nothing will be able to stop him from doing it. And think of me, sometimes we can read the story of David and Goliath and we can kind of play over what's happening. And we can kind of think that David knew exactly what's going to happen. He knew I'm going to pick this up and do this. I'm going to present to you that maybe David didn't know exactly what's going to happen, but he knew something would happen. Can you say amen? That's why I believe he picked five smooth stones because he didn't know which one of those would work. He didn't know exactly what's going to happen, but he trusted God enough to know that something was going to happen. He developed a tendency to trust God. And as you have that outlook on life, fully trusting in God, listen, things can happen. Think you can go into situations not knowing exactly how this is going to play out, but you can still have some peace. 
Look at Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. God promised Abraham that he'll be a father of many nations. He was an old man before he even had his first child with his wife. And then we know he had his promised child. And we know the story that God commanded Abraham to take that child, that promised child, and go and take him up to Mount Moriah and bring him and sacrifice him before the Lord. And we understood that Abraham may have thought, listen, what's going on here? This is the child that you promised me. I'm going to have to take him up. But I believe that when God spoke that to Abraham, Abraham didn't fly out into this weird response saying, no, God, how can you take my child? He just trusted God. I don't believe he knew exactly what was going to happen, but he knew that something would happen. Can you say amen in this place? And that's how we've got to come to God. Listen, I don't know how we're going to come out of this situation. I don't know what's going to happen if I go here, if I do this. But I do know I serve a a righteous God and something will happen. Some way, somehow, some good is going to come out of this. So I don't need to worry or fear. And I always go back to the story of the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, had no idea what was going to happen if they'd be placed in the fire. But they didn't care. They didn't exactly know what was going to happen, but they knew something would happen. They trusted God, that God is able to deliver them and do whatever he wants. So because of that, they was able to stand in peace where many people would be shaking, full of fear, full frightened to the very core. They was able to walk into the fire themselves. When we develop a tendency to trust the Lord, then fear is cast out. There'll be no space for it. There's no area. There's no need to fear I love this, Psalms 27, verse number one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I love that. Like, like, when the Lord is my salvation, what should I be afraid of? What should come and I should take thought? What should come and keep me awake at night? What should cause me to be anxious when the Lord is my light and my salvation? Look at this. It says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Whom should I be afraid of? Who is going to be against God? Who should take me so that I can run away with fear and I'm paralyzed by fear? It says, when the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not Fear, though war may rise up against me, in this I will be confident. Absolutely amazing. This doesn't say that problems and trials won't come your way. This says that when they come, you can stand up and be courageous. Can you say amen in this place? You can stand up and have no fear at all because when the Lord is your light and salvation, that you have no reason to be afraid of anyone or anything. I want to look at a a soul delighted. Look at Romans 12 and verse number 2. Because uh, it may come as slightly left field, but go with me here. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I love it because it says the renewing of your mind. If you can get your mind or if you can start to think differently or have a different perspective on things, you will start to see things for what they really are. 
There is a, 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 a term for the brain called neuroplasticity. It means that your brain can actually change. Your brain is formed a certain way, but if you change the pattern of the way that you think, neuroplasticity, your brain can actually physically change if it's hardwired a certain way. Because some people may have been afraid their whole life and now their brain is hardwired to look at every situation and be filled with fear. But there is a phenomenon called neuro plasticity that you can actually change the way that your brain is uh, or functions and then you can now start to change the way that you think to now you don't uh, 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 care for things you don't have a fear for things there's another term called neurogenesis which means that uh, the brain cells that you have are actually replaced every single morning reminds me of the scripture that says his mercy is new every single morning so when you wake up in the morning you can make a decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to have that disposition of fear. I'm not going to have the disposition of worry. I'm not going to be anxious for anything anymore. You know, sometimes people carry worry as if it's like a, a badge of honor. They'll freely admit it to you saying, yeah, I'm a worrier. I just sit at home and I worry and I worry. Oh, I'm a worry. It's a mother's worry. You know, is this a worry? I wor-. No, no, no. It's not something you should carry along. It's something that you should change and say, I'm not going to worry anymore. Can you say amen in this place? That's a command from Jesus Christ. He says, do not worry. And we've already said before, Jesus will not tell us to do something that we're not capable of doing. He has commanded us to say, listen, don't do that anymore. Don't spend any time. Don't waste any more time on on, on, on sleepless nights. Let's change the way that we think. Let's use our new brain cells every morning to change and start to trust God and believe that he's able to deliver us out of any affliction that comes our way. I love it in Psalms 94, verse number 16. The Bible says, Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. And look at verse number 19. It says, In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. You can have anxiety that comes to try and take your peace and your joy, but the comfort of the Word of God will delight your soul. I love this here. Psalms 118, 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a choice. That's a choice. You can wake up every day and say, I'm going to rejoice and be glad in this day. I'm going, to be re- I'm going to rejoice and have uh, the peace of God today. Because fear is something that will uh, uh, fracture our destiny. Fear is something that will uh, hold us back from what God wants us to do. Fear, if allowed to progress, will move on to worry. And even more, if allowed to graduate from there, would move on to anxiety. And then all of a sudden, when it's anxiety, we start to own that and say, I'm anxious. I have anxieties about this, anxieties about that. Listen, we are not, uh, it's not our portion to live with that type of anxiety. 
anxiety in our life. God didn't design us to have that. We already read that God did not give us that spirit of fear. He didn't want you to live like that. So we need to understand that throughout life, if we go through and we allow fear to progress, we need to turn it around and say, no, I'm developing a tendency to trust God and understand that he has my best interest at heart. I no longer have to be fearful. I no longer have to worry. I no longer have to suffer with anxiety because I serve a God who is sovereign over all. I serve a God who is able to deliver me from any situation. I serve a God who says, and nothing can be overturned. Can you say amen in this place? It is a pandemic. I speak to people and the A word is bad around. Yeah, I'm anxious. I have anxiety. I do this. I do that. And many times, it's not necessarily because of the things that we see around us. It could be the things that we see in the past that we can't change and we just want to leave it there. Or the things that we imagine about the future that haven't even existed yet. I want to read our scripture again, verse number 7, 2 Timothy chapter 1. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. There it is. I love that sound mind. You should be able to sleep sound. You should be able to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. You should be able not to be tormented in life by constant fear and constant worry. Worry of things that might not even exist. And we have to understand there's certain things that are outside of our control anyway. So there's no use in worrying over it. There's no use in spending time, uh, uh, giving time uh, from something that comes from the enemy anyway. Church, what I believe God is speaking to us tonight is saying, recognize where this fear has come from because it's not come from God. I believe he wants us to understand that so that we can address it, find the address of where it came to, and we can return it to sender. Who understands what I'm saying this evening? Come on, let's give him praise right now when we talk about holding. I want to spend some time praying over this subject. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes in this place.